0: Yeah, uh, I don't think we actually have anything planned for today. No, we don't
1: really have anything planned. I mean, I, mean, I have things I can talk off the cuff about, you know, as yeah. as always. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I, I was actually thinking of, you know, talking a little bit about, um, you know, since, since well, we, we have been trying to steer clear of the whole coronavirus issue, but inevitably we'll have to uh, make our way back to it. Uh, there's been a lot of interest recently in the whole issue of uh, wet markets and, uh-huh. you know, whether or not wet markets are responsible for the virus emerging in the first place or, you know, just the role of wet markets in uh, the origins of pandemics in general and what we need to do about about, about uh, wet markets. Have you have you been keeping up with any of the uh, discourse around this not recently?
0: really. I mean, I have, you know, there are always um, a couple of articles, right, floating out. Floating out there about, you know what? Well, are... more
1: more Twitter hot takes than about there are articles, yeah. but lots of Twitter I'm hot takes. Not as well, really
0: so. on Twitter these days, to be honest. So well, I am. So yeah, and I think
1: <laughs> for better or for worse, I
0: think like you know, Twitter it kind of self organizes into you know various um, uh... echo chambers. Echo chambers might be a, yeah, might be a good way to, to talk about it. And I for my part, I don't think I have a particular echo chamber that I'm really interested in that exists on Twitter. Um, so I was just kind of sworn off. I won't say I've, I've sworn off Twitter. Like literally, like yesterday or something, I um, at messaged someone. Me- at messaged? But I mean, you know what I mean. Basically, like replied to someone yes. on Twitter. Sure. Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. But. But I mean, I, I realized like that was the last message that I've sent in a year, I think. So <laughs> yeah, so I, yeah, I average enough. I average like a message a year on Twitter nowadays. Okay. Uh, I mean, I've been seeing these articles around, around the news publications, I should say, that kind of mm. are like, oh, what are wet markets? And are they related to the coronavirus? And um, people striving to make a distinction between a a wet market and a wildlife market. Um, right. And I think primarily in that respect, what what these publications are trying to do... I know The Guardian had one. Um, I don't remember if like the New York Times had one. And yeah, I just revealed my political sympathies, right? Like Those are the two newspapers <laughs> that I
1: read. So, um, the Daily Mail and... Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. So,
0: I think... The, uh, you know, they they primarily are just kind of like clarifying um, what the Wuhan South China market um, is, and is not right, right, and so um, the Wuhan South China market is a wildlife market, uh, among other things. Or I guess I I guess you can say that. Yeah, it's a market with a wildlife component. I guess. Yes. I, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Which is, you know, typical of many markets in, you know, Asia, Southeast Asia. Yeah. Not not just in Asia in particular, but, you know, large parts of the world you have markets that sell a mix of livestock-based produce, you know, mm-hmm. uh, farmed produce and also produce that are harvested from the wild. Right. Right, you know, even in, I mean, put it this way, look at Japan. Right. Uh, before it was closed, Tsukiji Market is basically mm. a wildlife market. Right, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, it sells fish. much. Caught
0: from yep. the sea, Yeah. yeah, and um, the kind of contrast with wet markets um, was the way that I think it was the Guardian that phrased it was that um, the defining quality of a wet market is really that it is wet without the <laughs> without meaning to seem like very <laughs> redundant, but it, it the 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 stuff that you will find at a wet market is more akin. To what you would find in a supermarket, with the uh, minus the canned stuff. Although you you can you do, you do get packaged packaged food at a wet market. You can, but yeah, the primary exactly. the primary feature is that for the fresh food, right, the fresh meat, the produce, and so on, um, it is not packaged in the way that you would find in a supermarket. Right, it doesn't go through a factory packaging mm-hmm. process. It just comes straight from the port. Or you know, off the truck. I mean, I'm just saying that because it's Singapore, right? But real, the, right? Whatever it is, right? It wherever you are, you know, wherever the wet market is, it basically comes straight from the source and it goes onto the display, and it is kept fresh um, by yes. running water over it or putting it on ice. That's basically sure why
1: it's called a wet market, right? As opposed to yeah, a, a fresh food market, yeah. Uh, but basically, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I mean, the question then is, you know, how much of this sort of you know outrage over wet markets, you know, leaving aside the whole distinction between markets that that don't sell uh, wildlife and markets that do sell wildlife, stems from this whole Western disconnect between, mm. um, uh, you know, what where food comes from in general.
0: Right, right. So I, I, I mean, I don't have the answer to that question. Um, hmm. there is something that, um is maybe kind of worth pointing out because um we both watch Bon Appetit, we've established that in the previous episode. And um there <laughs> was just an episode from Bon Appetit, um, where Molly Baz uh did whole animal mm-hmm. breaks down a pig. Yeah, breaks down a pig. Yep. Right? right. And she was very kind of like clear in her um view, right, about whether you you know people who feel queasy about about mm-hmm. whole animal butchery, or watching somebody um, butcher a pig, or butcher an animal, which is that this is the reality of the the meat that you eat. So if you're a meat eater, somebody is doing it, mm-hmm. and if you don't like that fact, uh, you might want to reconsider your your <laughs> um, dietary uh and your intake. dietary
1: choices, <laughs>
0: right? And I think absolutely, I think like in general, um, city dwellers. Are just very divorced from uh, the origins of the food that they eat, right? Whether it's uh, meat or 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 vegetables or fruit or whatever. Like I mean, it came from somewhere.
1: And and even you know, I mean, okay, put it this way. I think by and large, uh, in in you know, urban Western areas or even in Singapore, right? Yeah. I mean, Singapore, we do have wet markets, but as far as sort of an urbanites perspective is concerned, the closest many of them would have got to a a, a wet market would be a farmer's market. And even yes. farmer's markets, you know, the focus is largely on vegetable produce and not really on, you know, animal produce as yeah. well.
0: Yeah, that is true, actually. So, yeah.
1: so, right, this divorce from, you know, seeing the animal as a carcass, it has to be, prepared and processed, I think is, you know, one of the contributory factors to this whole notion behind, you know, the idea of a wet market when, in fact, you know, wet markets are, I mean, to put it nicely, remarkably diverse yep. localities. And, and I mean, a lot of Americans also do eat wild-caught uh, things, not just <clears throat> fish, but, you know, there's a huge industry of, of hunting in the US, yeah, you know, I mean... where people, people go out and they... They shoot deer, they shoot bears, or they shoot you know whatever.
0: Such an irony, of course. That, um, okay, never mind. I'm just not gonna go there. Second amendment,
1: but um, well, (laughs) no, fair enough. But I I said, you know, and I, I prior to my exposure to hunting, you know, you read about hunting Mm. from you know books and newspaper articles, and you go, oh, you know, it's killing. It's not very pleasant, but there is something to be said about. You know, hunting as number one a form of animal control. Yeah, right. Having you know lived in the US, especially the Southwest and on the East Coast as well, you do see that you know really deer are out of control.
0: Yeah,
1: right. And also, what is the impact of hunting on the population? This is something that you know we 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 don't really discuss. You know, people say, "Oh, hunting is bad because it kills." Yeah, so do a million. I you know I go on There's my spray bug things. spray. I'm killing yeah, a whole exactly. bunch of insects. Right. Exactly. Uh, but it's also you know the question is. Does hunting have an impact on the wild population? What is the, what is the impact of 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 hunting on the wild population as well? Yeah. And these are all you know um, valid questions questions that need to be that, that that carry with it a significant amount of nuance.
0: I think the irony of it is that the people who are most likely to be hunters, politically, like just you know in terms of political alignment, are also disproportionately likely to call for the bad on wildlife markets although huh. I think that one is probably um, bipartisan I mean if you're looking at it from the point of view of US politics
1: right uh, so I mean, so I mean the, when it comes to the question of wildlife markets then you know it's again this is a, a, an issue that really really demands nuance but it's not receiving a lot of that yeah. in sort of public discussion right yeah. so you know we talk about wildlife if you say we want to talk about the 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 the, the fish side of wildlife markets, mm-hmm. you know there are lots of issues to to be to be talked about you know the question of overfishing uh uh you know in yeah for things like tuna you know and and other slow growing large marine organisms okay there's you know big issue big discussion to be had there, and you know does fishing even count as a wildlife market? <laughs>
0: I, I don't know. I mean, fish. Kind Do of,
1: fish markets count? Yeah,
0: fish. Fish kind of occupy a strange place in like our own internal evaluation of what counts as meat, right? Because right. I think it is is like you know there are there are people who will eat fish but not other but not red meat, right? And mm, um, right. pescatarian. Uh, I was like, what? What is yeah. that word for that? <laughs> yeah, and I think um the I think the other way that we kind of think about it is like, be, I I mean I wonder to the degree that this is because the sea is like we are not we are not ocean mammals basically like you know <laughs> like the way that we kind of regard marine animals is different from the way that we got we regard land animals. It's like hey there are lots of them out there like literally plenty of fish in the sea right? Um,
1: right. Well, not as much as they used to be. but Yeah. You know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> Um, so I think like there is like, a very strange kind. Of, I mean a lot of it is defined by our own relationship to the animal like the way that a lot of people are very resistant to the idea of eating dogs and horses and cats right right, right. Um, yep. but there is no biological reason to be they are yeah Yeah. absolutely yeah
1: I mean yeah. They, are they are animals, animals just like they, they have meat
0: yeah exactly
1: <laughs> So... Uh, unless the meat is poisonous, you know, yeah, it is perfectly possible to eat. Right.
0: And it's the degree to... Yeah, I guess. <laughs> it's the degree to which, like, the animal is kind of, like, um, integrated into human society. It's like, we... Right. We regard so, dogs as, like, almost human. Horses as almost human, right? <laughs> and,
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it, then, you know, we come back to this whole question of, okay, so what do we do about wet markets? Or more specifically, what do we do about wildlife markets? Because, you know, th- 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 there is there is this element of, 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 of bias coming in, right? You know, most of the people engaged in this discourse are coming in from the West and they are much more familiar with eating pork, you know, chicken and beef, right? And then you have, other parts of the world where other kinds of meat are more, you know, prominent on the menu. So you have parts of the world that eat bats, you have parts of the world that eat, you know, uh, I mean, if you go further north, people eat elk, people eat moose, Mm. you know, people eat reindeer. There there is a much broader variety of proteins that people are eating. But on the other hand, you know, you also have this whole question of sustainability, uh, leaving aside the whole disease transmission question for one moment, but you also have the question about conservation. Yeah. Right. How many bats can we extract from the environment uh on an annual basis uh in in the manner that's sustainable? How many uh you know uh, uh uh yeah, how much game can we can we can we extract from the environment without uh destroying the environment? Right? And you know, on the issue of game, you have cases like like the UK where you know, entire native habitats are being wiped out and predators are being uh, wiped out in order to preserve game habitats purely for hunting, which in itself is also running counter to this whole idea of, you know, sustainability and conservation-minded consumption.
0: Right. I mean, so this is a question, right, which is that um, if you think about, you know, the point of view of a lot of, um, I don't want to say environmentalists, because I, I don't think that really accurately captures... It's a like, very coloured term. It's a very coloured <laughs> term, and it's also very broad. Um, right. Right, in the sense that environmentalism can stand for a lot of different things to different people. But I think where I'm coming mm-hmm. from is, you know, for the people who make the argument that, oh, factory farms, meat is bad... Um, like, you know, it's animal cruelty and so on and so forth, right? The flip side of it is that the factory farming uh, often, or I w- maybe I won't say often, right? Because they, they tend to be um, concentrated around, like, countries who you know, in a sense, have an excess of everything including food, but factory farming allows us to have um, a, a scale that is not possible with wild meat. Right? It's like, right. Where do well, we stand on that? Well, it's not just
1: scale, but also biosecurity as well. Right, this is yeah. a, You know, this is something that is incredibly important in the age of bird flu as well.
0: Yep. I mean, I hear an ambulance, and uh, as much as it's, I would like to, it's my end. Sorry. I know. I, like as much as I would like feels, to comment I, on it, I think this is again. <sighs> sorry, Mr. this is. Times. You know,
1: I, it feels like living in New York.
0: <laughs> you know, I mean, here's the thing, right? Like, um, you know, my, um in university towns, I mean, I I don't know why it's like in Albuquerque, but in in university towns, like an ambulance on a weekend is someone getting drunk. But uh, oh,
1: for, <laughs> I mean, I I well, uh, Albuquerque has one of the largest hospitals in the state, so so yeah. Uh, well, it's not so much ambulances; we get lots of helicopters later at like, because it's a big state. Oh very right. Rural state. So that makes sense, yeah. I used to be very pissed off and you know this is again di- on a huge tension but yeah, I used to be very pissed off with 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 helicopters showing up And then, then someone pointed at me well that's because someone is extremely ill and they live you know in the middle of nowhere so oh shit. Yes. Right. That is true. It's I mean it's never really occurred to us here in the highly right. dense highly built up you know right. state like Singapore where there's no rural areas but then you realize Oh yeah, there are people living, you know, on farms that, that need emergency support and a helicopter really is the fastest way to get them to a medical center. So yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean in Freiburg as well, it is um the the okay, so there is a big university hospital in, in Freiburg and um mm-hmm. there it, it serves quite a large area because the area outside of Freiburg is mostly uh rural. Um, right But yep. I actually don't know How many people Are You know Kind of like Being Shipped in um, Into mm-hmm. the university mm-hmm. hospital I think I think part of it is that A lot of A lot of the Surrounding area Is mostly um, They tend to be uh, Elderly folk And so if they have Chronic conditions They tend to be Fairly well managed Like they come in They come into town Like regularly For their Their, their checkups And so on Um But then again, most of the actual students, most of the people in Freiburg, right? Like they skew young because of the (laughs) because of the number of universities in town. And yeah, a Friday night, a Friday night ambulance is is somebody who
1: got drunk. So, right. so, okay, I yeah, mean, circling uh, back to our original topic. Yeah. So, so how, you know, how should we approach or navigate this, this issue that seeing you know, the, the minefields and also yeah. acknowledging that a lot of this discussion has been driven by Western voices who, who may not necessarily you know, understand or even want to understand what's going on on the ground, right? Because yeah. it's clear that, okay, the wildlife trade does increase the chance of uh, disease spreading, uh, from animals to humans, right? Although, I mean, if we look at the case of bird flu, for that matter, I mean, bird flu spread through chicken farms because yeah. you get migrating birds, you know, yeah. mixing with 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 chickens that are roaming around on a you know in, on a farmstead, and then right. the virus jumping from wild birds to chickens, and then chickens to uh, to humans through, right. through, you know, aerosolized species. So yeah. so the question then is, you know, is there an argument to be made in the first place? And, you know, how do we approach this without, number one, you know, being racist? <laughs> because, <laughs> well, you yes. know, let's be fair, many of these arguments are deeply based in, 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 in racism or at least, you know, based in prejudice towards non-white mm-hmm. cultures, yep. right? And number two, how do we ground this also in a deep, Biological understanding of how, well, number one, wildlife work, and number two, how diseases work as well. Right. And number three, how do we do this in a manner that also does not deprive developing countries, you know, underprivileged communities of livelihoods as well? (laughs) Can you imagine, you know, you go to, say, uh, Arunachal Pradesh province in, 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 you know, yeah, in in India slash China, it's a contested region, right? Right. And you tell these people, no, stop eating bushmeat. You know, go and farm chickens. Go and buy yeah, beef. You know, uh... sorry, not beef. Sorry, you know, go and buy whatever <laughs> meat that you know I like to eat from from your local supermarket or your local right. Whole Foods. Right. You know, and and live a sustainable you know life. That makes no sense.
0: It yeah no, it really doesn't. So I mean, f- and it, from... it, you know, it
1: betrays a fundamental lack of understanding of the diversity of the world.
0: Well, yes. I think I think we kind of established that um in terms of a lack of understanding of diversity it tends to go in one direction which is from more powerful to less powerful basically right. the the more power you have whether that is like political geopolitical uh, economic whatever military right the less you feel the need to understand someone who has less
1: Right um, absolutely yeah yeah
0: and so I think I think maybe the I don't know if I would say the easiest question, but probably the question that you know has is is probably the easiest to base in uh evidence um is probably the biological one. So like I I don't know if I just kind of open a can of worms there. But,
1: you might well have.
0: Yeah. But I mean like in terms of just the basic question of does you know does the existence or presence of a wildlife market increase the odds of uh, zoonotic disease, like a disease that is transmitted from animals.
1: Well, I mean, as we're seeing now, with you know all uh, a lot of studies coming in, uh, 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 you know, especially in the wake of, of COVID nineteen, uh-huh. and now studies, you know, doing a lot of uh, looking at other vertebrates as well, we realize that viruses can jump from a whole variety of organisms. MERS was a, a jumping, likely to have been a jumping incident from a camel to right. humans, you know. H five N one was from probably from chickens and ducks and geese to humans, mm-hmm. uh, and you know as far as COVID nineteen is concerned, it's possible that you know bats may have been involved at some point, and also potentially pangolins as well. Right. So so you know based and, and SARS uh, is likely to have uh, originated somewhere uh, from a civet. I think there was some evidence of civets having been the reservoirs of SARS. So I mean, right. put it this way, right? If we uh, you know, viruses exist. And of course, you know, going back to Nipah viruses, which come from, I think, from pigs, Japanese encephalitis as well, which you okay. know occurs in a huge variety of, 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 of mammalian reservoirs. So, so the question is this, you know, <laughs> um, how do we keep ourselves safe? Right. Right. Um, uh, you know, this is not an, av- I'm not advocating everyone, you know, jump to veganism. But the question then is, there are going to be attendant risks with any kind of Meat consumption, right, right. So, just what needs to happen
0: to be just to yeah. be clear? Is this a problem of meat consumption, or will contact be sufficient?
1: Well, the consumption, you know, it, meat, Well, the consumption of meat means that number one, there have to be places where they are sold, and places where right. you know, if they are farmed, they have to be they have to be farmed. And so, it's right. these places where humans get into contact with. Not just the animal, but also what they excrete <laughs> right right and and it's right. very often from these kinds of scenarios that the virus can jump, right so it's right. usually agricultural so, contexts
0: so if i if I understand you correctly, um, it is the contact, not the consumption, that creates this opportunity, but then consumption often drives <laughs> increased contact with the animal contact right, yeah, okay yeah so it's like it's basically like if you were to stop eating. Uh, if we were to, you know, all go vegetarian, but at the same time, right. all keep pets, it wouldn't necessarily it, it, stop.
1: you still get toxoplasma from your cats. Right. You know, okay. you'd still get whatever from... Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. All right. So, moving on. Um,
1: <laughs> can we move on from this? I don't, I, don't know. I
0: don't know if we can move on from that because I think that just about clearly establishes that as long as you live on a planet with animals... You're not going to eliminate the chance of a, of a zoonotic um, disease
1: entirely, right? But how do we, you know, the, the question then is, you know, obviously, you know, completely eliminating risk is impossible. But then, how do we mitigate these things? So, so mm-hmm. you know, we we we, as far as Singapore is concerned, bird flu wise, right? You know, we have made sure that there are no more free roaming chickens uh, in agricultural contexts. So all chicken farms in Singapore are in closed spaces where you know there is limited con- there is no contact between outside birds and inside birds basically, okay, okay. right, um, you know and there will have to be practices and regulations put in place to sort of figure out this new landscape of of how we navigate uh, farming and you know the potential of z- zoonotic spread. But then you know when it comes to then the wildlife markets that's slightly different because you know wildlife markets. Do not involve generally farmed animals. And so how do we deal with these things in okay. in, 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 in in a way that makes sense?
0: Before, before you continue, so if I understand correctly, right, does that mean that um so so let's say for example, if we talk about like free range chickens, hmm. does that mean that again, it's you know, like bird flu is Okay. So if I understand correctly, right? the the transmission vector right it's it's um, wild birds not farm birds but to the degree that wild birds come into contact with farm birds like that increases the risk that the farmed birds will contract or be able to transmit H1N um, is it H1N1 or H5 H5 H5, H5. H5N1.
1: H1N1 is swine flu yep.
0: yes I I knew there was something I was missing <laughs> um, yeah so so for example right. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of the fact that I, I think in Singapore, we don't particularly care about whether the chickens are free range or not. But, <laughs> but um, to, does that actually imply that, you know, uh, what you might say that uh, an animal that on paper has a higher quality of life is actually at a higher risk of transmitting oh, H5N1? That's...
1: You know, I think I think to to really answer that question, you need to get deep into farming practices, which I don't think any of us are qualified to talk yeah. about. Yeah. Uh, okay. You know. <laughs> okay. You know, especially since Singapore is definitely not a agricultural superpower. Nope. Uh, uh, n- neither of us have any, I think, particular claim on expertise in in, yeah. in, in in this manner, as insofar as you know, animal quality of life is concerned. Right. Um. So, uh, okay, let's just I'm, let's just I'm get gonna back I am going to have to, to not <laughs> What life, you know, yeah, which is I think, a more question. <laughs> yeah, let's just get back to a question. i just saying something. <laughs> right, you know, uh, yeah, but you know, and and it's even then it's not an easy it's not an easy situation because you have mm-hmm. communities that subsist on, you know, on on the capture of wildlife, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean not hunter gatherers per se, but you do have communities where where you know foraging is Still a significant proportion of 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 the, the protein that they consume right, right. Um, and you know there are cultural practices to be to 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 bear in mind as well, although you know fetishizing cultural practices can also lead to a whole new separate kind of kind of worms as well right. uh, There was an interesting uh, story I, I I met this researcher once we were giving a talk at an event, and uh, he was telling us about his research in Vietnam about how um uh, uh, you know the the consumption of of python python wine oh. is viewed as a cultural practice, right? Right, um, where you know reticulated pythons are caught and then the heart is is extracted from the la- still alive yeah. python, uh, yeah. dunked into some kind of you know spirit and then drunk. Uh, yeah. Uh, and and you know for a long time people thought, oh, this is a you know a cultural practice. We we cannot you know as conservationists or as white people come in and say, no, you can't do this because that's you know number 1 cultural imperialism number 2 yeah. you know it's it's insensitive right. and then he dug into it and it, he realized that this is actually a recent invention interesting this was invented by the vietnamese to give rich chinese businessmen a thing to do while you know to pass the time jesus okay because you okay. know it's a flamboyant and very um it, it's it's a very showy a very performative kind of kind of practice right so so you know again this runs in a whole it's... bunch of you know potential minefields, It's exhausti- right? It's
0: exoticism as, as ritual, basically, as a social ritual. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. So, you know, can more developed countries come in and tell less developed, you know, countries what to do? That's one question. Number two is, if there is a desperate need for behavioral change, how can that be best affected as well? You know, we, we look at uh, one of the big problems of wildlife one of the big problematic wildlife problems in southeast asia is the songbird trade in in uh, much uh, large parts of southeast asia not okay, ju- well and, and oh songbirds yeah. okay songbirds yeah and yeah. you know especially problematic in indonesia where you know the the bird markets are enormous and they are responsible for the depletion of incredible numbers of birds from the wild i mean uh, a recent study came out suggesting uh, and it, i i I'm inclined to agree with the results of that paper that um there are more birds in captivity in Indonesia than there are in the wild in Indonesia
0: whoa okay
1: It's remarkable okay. it's astounding, and this stems from this you know this this cultural belief that every man uh, every Javanese man at the very least needs to have you know a cage bird in his house, and right. you know you multiply that by the number of Javanese families, and you can start to see the magnitude of the problem.
0: Right, that's still a so, very
1: startling statistic. That I,
0: I think I think is just yeah. like you know we just like fish in the sea. We just think of like birds in the air as being like plentiful,
1: ubiquitous. Right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Interesting. You know,
1: and 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 so this this is a genuine conservation problem because you know, uh, uh, Indonesia is extremely biodiverse. But their forests are falling silent because of mm-hmm. the the problem of poaching i mean I I, I I have been to wildlife markets in Indonesia, and walking through these markets it is one of the most depressing experiences I've ever i I've, I've encountered. You see you know cages packed with 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 wild caught birds, uh, some of which I've never seen in the wild myself before. Okay. Um, not only do you see birds but you also see uh, you know flying foxes, fruit bats, monkeys uh, being sold in cages. Right. either as, as, as pets or as food, more likely as pets, right? And so, so that, that does you know, bring into mind this question. Okay, it, this is a deeply unsustainable practice, right? Mm-hmm. But it's driven by cultural, cultural beliefs. It's driven by um, historical practices as well. It's also driven by politics, unfortunately. Many prominent Indonesian politicians are noted bird keepers. And so there is so much political resistance towards the closing down of these markets, Right. To the Indonesians' credit, you know, they have started clamping down on this. Uh, there have been a, a remarkable series of, of, of raids by the police and by wildlife police, you know, to, to clamp down on bird smuggling. But the problem is still extremely widespread. And it's, you know, it's something that, like, some guy on the weekend can go out and do. Right. Right. So right. It's, it's transcended organized crime, in a sense. It's become a pastime for, 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 for some people.
0: Right okay I mean it is it is well the the nature of this kind of thing is that it's very multifaceted it's it doesn't lend itself to any kind of easy answers Um, it's a multidimensional kind of you know you you can't deal with the problem of um, you know you, you You can't really deal with the problem of like how do we minimize transmission um, through contact with wildlife without also dealing with like, okay, but why do people continue to engage in these practices um, and how do mm-hmm. we kind of like make this approach a not not, a, not necessarily a moralistic one? Right, especially if we don't have the full cultural context
1: at hand. Right, it's, right. Oof. So I hear a Javan miner in your background. I'm just saying. Uh, Which is interesting because Javan miners are rare in their native Java because okay. of poaching. <laughs> they okay. are literal. I mean, I'm not kidding. You. Javan miners are considered an internationally endangered species, even though in Singapore, in Malaysia, in uh, Taiwan, in Hong Kong, they are considered trash.
0: Interesting. Um, I didn't notice it until you mentioned it.
1: Right, I can hear it. Interesting.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think I for that I have to give credit to to my microphone. Very good. Yeah, pro- probably. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: Right. So, so no, I I agree with you. You know, one of the things we need to do is we need to deeply, I guess, uh, understand human relationships with animals. Right, where how human communities interact with and how you know what where they stand vis a vis. Immediate wildlife, but also you know there is you know and leaving Indonesia aside for for one moment right we also have to interrogate sort of uh broader global consumption practices with regard to not 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 food wise but also pet the pet trade, right okay right, you know, our demand for pets exotic pets especially right you mm-hmm. know uh um even in the place. Like Singapore, where there are strict regulations against the ownership of certain kinds of animals, you still see that you know if I want something and I'm persistent enough, I can get it. Yeah. We have had cases of sugar gliders being found in the in, oh, wait, in you what's know, a, abandoned in Singapore. What's a sugar glider? Sugar gl- it's a it's a kind of it's a kind of mammal that I believe is native to Australia.
0: Oh, huh. all right.
1: Yeah, uh, we've uh, had cases of hedgehogs being abandoned, tarantulas, uh, snakes. Uh, you know all kinds of, of 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 exotic wildlife that are able to make their way through to Singapore, partly because we are a a a you know a shipping hub, right? Uh, which very unfortunately makes Singapore in fact one of the world's largest hubs of the illegal wildlife trade,
0: right? Yeah,
1: alongside Malaysia and Thailand as well, and Indonesia obviously.
0: Yeah, that's un that's unfortunate.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, so you know the, yeah uh, sorry I, 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 if anyone was hoping for easy answers to this, I, I unfortunately cannot offer any because this is a problem that you know professionals and experts and biologists around the world are still struggling to to deal with, and you know it's it's not going to disappear magically It's 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 really not
0: i'm I'm kind of thinking about the idea of a pet by itself because I mean um I've never had one right like. And mm-hmm. I think, I think uh, many families living in Singapore um, are, are kind of constrained in in the sense that, you know, if you live in a, a HDB flat, um, right away you're kind in a of small constrained. Small apartment, the, right? Yeah. Yeah, in the in the number of you know all the types of animals that you can have. Like I mean, obviously you can keep a rabbit, you can keep a hamster, and uh, you can keep some cats, you can keep some dogs. But I think actually the majority of dogs. Um, are not HDB approved just because of the size. Right. Um, yeah. And I think, like, it is a kind of interesting question as well of... um, And, okay, I mean, on, on the note of... um, On the note of, you know, dogs not being approved because of their size, if you look into, you know, like, the different dog breeds and so on, right? Like, some dogs are simply not suited for apartment living because they just... <coughs> have an inclination to run or hunt or they just need space right and mm-hmm. i'm i'm kind of right. wondering like i on on the one hand i think a lot of it is definitely it's based on you know there is an element of like social um you're you're trying to show off right <laughs> it, I mean I I So it's so a performative element. Yeah, basically. there is a there is a performative element to say like, hey, you know, I have access to this thing or I have this I have this uh this, this pet. Um and you know But it's
1: also companionship, you know, I yes, guess there is a the human exactly. element as well.
0: Exactly. Like I mm. think it would be the very cynical. Weapon. It would be very cynical to say that hey, all pets are just vehicles for showing Instagram off. Instagram fodder. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and um, I think uh, again on on the you know it's a it's a question of like which and there are two extremes of the scale right like if you're talking about like um, performative elements like keeping mm-hmm. I don't know a tiger, um, <laughs> but then again it's it's probably not fair to say that because again you, I mean who are we to kind of say that this such and such an animal. Does not constitute a companion for a particular individual. Right?
1: Right. So But you know, as far as sort of pets are concerned as a broader concept, is this yeah. something that we you know I, I, I don't know whether or not we can even come to a consensus that we should start having a, a serious global conversation about shrinking the 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 diversity of, of the pet trade. Right? right. Shrinking the space of allowable pets down to only a few species. I mean, there is, you know, on the one hand, it will it will reduce the de- well, it may not necessarily reduce the demand, but it will, you know, make it much harder for people to get exotic animals. On the other hand, you have the problem of cats, uh, okay. which I, I, is another talk, to- another can of worms that we I, I'm about to 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 open right now. Okay, um, cats are considered to be one of the most widespread introduced predator on Earth. They are the most widespread introduced predator on Earth. And um, I think in the US alone, cats kill, I think, up to f- 2 billion birds mm-hmm. a year just purely from you know incidental opportunistic bird killings. Right. Right, And it's not just uh, 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 cats that have gone feral, but also house cats that are allowed to roam around. Right. And this is a problem. Right, you know, uh, we have basically transplanted a a, a apex predator mm-hmm. across the world to all urban centers, and this has resulted in you know feral communities of cats emerging because of cats that escape or because of people releasing their cats. You know, yeah. So 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 that becomes in itself a problem as well. And this is not to say that we should ban the ownership of cats. I love cats myself. But right. there also needs to, you know, as we, we talk about, you know, how the pet trade needs to evolve, right, we also need to talk about what existing practices need to change with regard to pet ownership, uh, you know, of, of pets that are deemed to be sort of socially acceptable, dogs and cats, right? maybe rabbits, right, and and how this can then have, you know, impacts on on. What we would say it would be urban ecology and broader ecological questions as well,
0: right? And I think the the challenge with this kind of thing, right, is that as much as it would be tempting to advocate for a kind of like top down regulation, in you know, in the way that like you know poaching has been has been done, nah. right? Like you you're gonna be like, okay, this is the number of Cats worldwide that can be adopted as pets, and once we hit this quota, no more until some, you know, un- <laughs> until like um, the next time the quota is reviewed or some some stuff like that. But the the reality of it is that this is, I mean, if we were to do that, then cats would become the new exotic animals, I- effectively, but um, R- right the new kind of like contraband uh, animal to keep in your house and hide from, you know, customs officers. But <laughs> but um, the reality of it is that all of this behavior has to be driven from the individual, right? And from the cultural context and not from a legal framework because the legal framework in in reality is just there is a limit to the degree of enforcement that you can kind of command.
1: Um, I mean, there are, you know, likely to be multiple approaches. I mean, you have cases, you know, places like Australia where where feral cats are extremely heavily persecuted against for good reason, right? You know, Mm -hmm. uh, cats have been killing wildlife, on Christmas Island, they have, I think, mostly eradicated all cats. Uh, they leave out, you know, poison bait uh, for the cats to eat and the cats will die. And, you know, in other parts of the world, Singapore especially, people will complain. You know, as we say, cry father, cry mother. You know, why are you <laughs> killing cats? Cats are so cute. Right. You know, you shouldn't be killing wildlife. I mean, I'm going to diverge from 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 the sort of status quo in Singapore and say, no, we should be culling feral cats. Right. I mean it's yeah, it's cute to see that, you know, void deck kitty cat, you know, but that's um still, you know uh um, uh not only a a a a predator that's you know living within close quarters to urban wildlife, it's also a vector of disease that could spread right. disease to other cats and also to other animals.
0: Right. And here we come back to the question of uh zoonotic diseases.
1: Um, just, well, to, the, yeah,
0: hmm. just to kind of clarify here When you say a feral cat What's the definition of a feral cat? Uh,
1: ha, 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 ha. Um, that's a good question actually so, so I think feral means that They've reverted back to wild behaviour So okay. what we have in, in our HDB blocks Are not strictly feral cats Mm-hmm. Right, these are not uh, cats that have fully reverted back to to wild behavior. Because a lot of them are fed, a lot of them continue to to behave like domesticated animals. Right, but the instinct to hunt remains present in their biology.
0: Right, and I mean, I think
1: in their behavior,
0: that that's also one of the things, right? Which is like, to no matter how much you domesticate, there are there are some animals where you know you never fully root out that instinct and uh, yeah. as much as we would like to be like oh cats and dogs are you know cuddly and cute and so on um it's the the fact is ecologically they are predators right, right. and um, right. He, and especially like working dogs you know they've been bred over mm-hmm. many generations to hunt um
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: and like if you take a retriever or a pointer, and you kind of like put them in an urban environment that doesn't, you know, they're still nice and cuddly, but they're still hunting dogs.
1: <laughs> right. So, you know, the, the, the question then, you know, comes down to one of, there, there has to be, I, I mean, I, I personally advocate for for a combination of both, you know, bottom-up education type, you know, approaches, but also you there needs to be strong action from the top as well. Right, okay. uh, not just on cats and dogs, but also on broader issues of wildlife. You know, wildlife poaching. So Singapore has recently updated our Wild Animals and Birds Act. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a law that was put into place by the colonial government and has never been updated ever since. Okay, there are in fact still there. There were in fact still provisions for um, um, uh, uh, um, uh, animal. Baiting, So not feeding of wildlife, but, you know, like, you know, dog fighting and cock fighting type um, uh, provisions, which obviously have, I think, diminished to a negligible state at this point in Singapore. Although, you know, I don't profess to to fully (laughs) know if this is still an ongoing practice locally. But, right, uh, we have recently updated the law to number one, increase the penalties for feeding of wildlife, which I think is long overdue. Okay. Right, many of the problems we have with uh, urban wildlife and you know conflicts between humans and wildlife stem from the fact that we are feeding uh, animals. or so pigeons, for example, you know the fact that many people still throw rice out the window to feed the pigeons is one of the contributory factors to the large population size of pigeons. Interesting. So uh, same uh, with uh, monkeys and wild pigs.
0: Yeah, I think like monkeys and wild pigs. Like you know, for for the people who are in a position to kind of encounter them, like you see the signs that like don't feed the monkeys kind of thing. But <laughs> out of curiosity, like how does this relate to, you know, the the feral cats, right? Like is there, would there be a penalty for feeding? Uh, they don't say feral cats, but there are people who call them like community cats or neighborhood cats.
1: Right. Yeah, so so I think this this act specifically covers wild animals and birds. So I think domesticated animals like cats are not covered under the provisions of this act. Okay, I mean it's, I am it's should... com- not a I'm not a lawyer, uh-huh. not a wildlife lawyer. Uh, so this is something that you know you should uh, a lawyer needs to might ideally step in and, and comment on as well.
0: Okay, I should just briefly also add that you know when I say like some people call them community cats or neighborhood cats that. Um, I would also include myself in this category. I mean, I'm not being like, ah, call all the cats kind of thing. Um, but it's it's more about like, how do we do this? As you said, in a responsible manner,
1: right? Yeah. And you know, yeah. uh, this this is always going to be an issue that, uh, uh, as with all things wildlife, it's always going to be a problem to navigate. Right on the one hand, yes, I can sympathize with people who say, you know, we shouldn't be rounding up cats and killing them, okay. Mm-hmm. But the 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 flip side is, do we have enough people to adopt these cats? Right. Right, and also, you know, some people say, oh, why don't we just do trap neuter release? But the problem is, trap neuter release is a very long lag time between right. implementation and uh, you know results. Right. right. Cats that are trapped and neutered. Can still hunt, and they can do so for a very long time. Right, right, right. You, you. It also raises the question of, okay, how, you know, what is the efficacy of your of your trap neuter release program, and is this going to make any significant change in the first place?
0: Right. So, I mean, on the on the question of like, do we have enough people to you know foster and adopt all these cats? Like, if we wanted to get them out of the not out of the community right but like off the streets right in, into you know mm. homes um, so for I don't know about cats but for dogs there is actually an interesting initiative called Exclusively Mongrels I don't know if you're aware of them
1: okay oh I've never heard of this before yeah. oh that's
0: interesting so, right Um Basically, what they do is uh i'm 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 not sure whether they are you know like a registered charity or just like a Facebook group or I actually have no idea what the operations of of it are um literally all I do is I follow their facebook page and um they post cute pictures of dogs who get adopted so <laughs> um that's kind of like my feel good uh <laughs> you know my feel good like facebook read of the day but um what right. they do is basically they find dogs that have that are out in the community and often are abandoned or struggling in some form like they're emaciated or they have injuries and so on um they mm-hmm. they place them with fosterers um while mm-hmm. they are nursed back to health and uh, often also if they are really you know they have not been like house trained and so on then the fosterer will be kind of like responsible for training them Right, and then...
1: I am aware of a group that does something similar called Save Our Street Dogs, SOSD.
0: Interesting. Yeah, yeah. so I
1: think this might be a part of a broader uh, a series be. of NGOs yeah. that are working on this problem. Right,
0: yeah. And then they, um, they kind of you know place... They have these like adoption drives to try and mm-hmm. right. place these dogs in homes. And I think what's interesting to me is that um, they do kind of... They have very good... Uh, photography, right? Like, they <laughs> really put these dogs in the best possible light. Um, but occasionally, you still do see that there are certain dogs that they have a lot of trouble placing and these tend to be the ones who, you know, they don't meet our standards of cute, right? And the right. fact that they deal exclusively in, in street dogs um, Means that you know these are in ver- exclusively mongrels, like right there in the name, right? Yeah. These are not yeah. like your typical, like oh, this is such a cute little pomeranian or 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 like a chihuahua or a French bulldog or whatever. Like these are dogs that, um, they look like street dogs, right? And I think right. we have a certain image uh, um, associated with these types of. Um, street animals and I think, right, like regardless of how good the photography is and like how cute the animal is and, <laughs> and the fact that um mongrels are often, you know, fitter than purebreds, like mm-hmm. there is kind of that hurdle that is very hard to overcome because I think like when people imagine themselves with like a dog or a cat, they imagine themselves with like a golden retriever. Or they imagine themselves with like a chihuahua, right? They imagine themselves with a very right. particular image that they've seen somewhere. And, um, it's kind of hard for some people to come around to the idea that, hey, actually, if what you're looking for is, you know, um, companionship or somebody to add to to the family, then you might not necessarily be out to, just like, you know, you can't really, like, create a model child, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, Yet, probably a topic for a different day, right? But <laughs> I, I think we we still maintain this distinction between what constitutes a pet and what constitutes a, a street animal, which, of course, is part of the problem right. that we've been discussing, right, about
1: yes. pet ownership. Yes, and so which is why, you know, if, if you ask me, this is not something that is sort of... Bottom up thing can, can necessarily solve as well because this is addressing a sort of broader again draws back you know, as we as we circle around this whole idea about human relationships with, with wildlife. It's it it centers around how humans interact and relate to wildlife on a societal level, right? Right. Whether it's wildlife as a source of food, whether it's wildlife as a sort of com- a source of companionship, whether it's wildlife as a status symbol, whether it's wildlife as you know. Uh, a source of livelihood as right. well um these are these are all things that that you know we need to take a much deeper look at um mm-hmm. uh, if we even want to have any chance of yeah addressing the issue at a at a at a broader level um and in yep. a sense, you know, when, when when we talk, you know, when we talk ecology, we talk about spatial scale. So this is not something a single individual can accomplish, yep. but it's something that has to happen at a societal level. So this is something right. where, you know, we have to be sensitive to cultures, we have to be sensitive to cultural differences, but at the same time, we also have to be sensitive to 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 you know broad imperatives as well. So yep. how all these issues are likely to be addressed, you know, will vary. It will be piecemeal, unfortunately. But that need you know that takes into account this idea that there, that there cannot be a one size fits all approach. There cannot be right. a, a you know a universal approach to solve all wildlife issues, to solve all zoonotic issues, to solve all pet issues, um, right. you know. But it needs to happen regardless. You know there needs to be a change in the way we. There needs to the status quo is no longer functional. Right. Let's put it this way. I
0: mean, it turns out like stuff is complicated. Like who knew? <laughs> who knew? Um, <laughs> the the funny thing is when i was an undergrad at uh nyu new york university they started um an animal studies department right. and i think as with as with um as with fields that tend to be interdisciplinary right like when the department was first started i think a lot of people have kind of struggled to be like um so what do they do exactly <laughs> like do they because they were quite explicit i think in in specifying that like this is not like a veterinary studies course right you're not just studying animals um and you're not just mm-hmm. studying ecology um uh, but i think mm-hmm. one thing that they mentioned that the uh, that the department was going to do was to study the relationships between animals and humans which i think um i think it's quite clear especially with covid going around and and everything that we've discussed here is actually quite um an overlooked part right of how we relate to animals because obviously at this point agricultural economics is a developed field veterinary science is a developed field um but in i i think strange as it is i don't think we really have a academic discipline that's devoted to examining exactly why humans why humans treat animals the way that we do.
1: Right. No, right. that 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 is a fair point. Yeah. And you know, having that sort of theoretical underpinning will be very important for shaping, I guess, how we move forward.
0: Yeah. Yep. So interdis uh, interdisciplinary <laughs> academics also important.
1: Who knew? Ugh Well, <laughs> Okay. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, the the whole wet market issue is still no easy answers, basically, right? Even the WHO statement was kind of hemi and hoy as well. They said, yeah, you yeah. know, we need to do something about wet markets, but, you know, we need to bear in mind that certain communities depend on this. Blah, blah, blah. So it's, I, I don't have a solution to to, to this, right? You I know, mean, clearly something yeah. needs to be done about some kinds of markets. To, to say all wet markets are bad, you know, across the board, that that is not, I think, something that we can justify at this point in time. Yeah. But we need to examine, you know, practices within wet markets. We need to look at, I mean, there's, there's the issue of hygiene. But, of course, when you talk about hygiene, there's all this, you know, cultural baggage that comes along with this as yeah. well, as we see in recent discourse in Singapore as well. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, and, 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 and yeah. I, I i I don't have a good answer to this I'm sorry
0: <laughs> I mean I don't think anybody has um or else okay, I was gonna say I don't think anybody has, or else we would coalesce around it pretty quickly, but then I think that is also not true yeah because no. <laughs> because humans are uh can because be difficult <laughs> yeah
1: it's human. because humans full stop
0: yeah because humans yeah. pretty much yeah okay <laughs> so I mean, at this point we've been recording for about just close to an hour and yeah. uh i think for the we have gone of, nowhere we've gone nowhere but actually for the first time i mean for the you know this is the first episode that is actually relatively self-contained right <laughs> <laughs> it's, it didn't it didn't like just go from like wee! from like one topic to like a completely different topic um yeah i just submitted the podcast to apple podcasts so there's that
1: excellent wonderful
0: yeah and then Apple will take however long it takes to to approve it and then hooray I also made a podcast cover art (laughs) wonderful yeah it's four emojis oh wonderful yeah it's a monkey and a brain Uh, and then I was like (laughs) well that doesn't that doesn't make up a square so I need two more elements so I put a, Ah. a man meditating to substitute for a monk and then I put a key. <laughs> oh my God. I was like, hey, okay. I mean, it works. That and, works.
1: Uh, and yeah, I mean, a, monkey
0: monkey mind is actually, uh, um, I, don't, I don't remember. It's like a Taoist or Buddhist or Confucian or some uh, Eastern religion concept. Yeah, I just right. offended like a whole bunch of people. It's, it's fine. Um, but the original uh, fair concept, enough. yeah, the original idea of a monkey mind is like an undisciplined mind. That doesn't stay mm-hmm. in one place, <laughs> so.
1: Huh, yeah. I wonder, right? Yeah. So I think yeah, yeah. Uh, we yeah. we we haven't resolved any issues, but uh, hopefully you know we have at least covered some of the complexities of, of of you know, yeah, the whole wildlife issue, and yep. you know hopefully it leads to a lot more nuance in terms of, you know, f- downstream discussions and how we how we address this issue as well in the future.
0: Yep. Okay, so I think that will be all for for this week, I think. Um, Yes. Yeah. All right.
1: All right. I will see you next week then.
0: Next week then, yeah.
1: Yes. Okay. All right. And I'm going to stop right now.